Bible is a rich collection of ancient literature that comes together to form a story which points to Jesus. So how can we help more people to read it that way? This is the Bible Reset Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Bible Reading. Welcome to the show. I'm Alex Goodwin here with Paul Kimnitty, back for part two of our conversation with Bible Project's Tim Mackey and John Collins. In our last episode, we explored what John and Tim have learned over their first seven years of producing hundreds of videos and podcasts to help people read and understand the Bible. Today, we're going to zoom out a little bit and take a look at the state of Bible engagement as a whole, what they think people need to know about the Bible, what might be missing in most Bible education, and what they think might need to change. Tim and John, thanks for joining us. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, good to talk with you. Right out of the chute, I'm curious if someone came to you um, who is a brand new Christian, or maybe not a brand new Christian, but brand new to the Bible, and they wanted to get started, um, what, what would you tell them? I'm assuming that's not a, not a hypothetical question, and I'm assuming that you wouldn't just give them like some cute acrostic that says read, memorize, journal, and apply or something. So what, what, what would you tell them? What do you tell them? Man, you know, it's so context specific, you know? Um, so if, if it is someone who's n- newer to following Jesus, then um, I really encourage people just to hang out in the four accounts of his life uh, and four gospels. Um, cause I, and maybe it's just that I, I, because this was my experience and so I'm imposing it on everybody else. And so, I, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But uh, I'm continually grateful for my first exposure to the Bible being in, through the Gospels. And, and it was that experience that created the need for me to take in the rest of, this, of these uh, books in the Bible be- because I, it became clear to me that that's what mattered to Jesus. He explained himself in terms of this collection of scrolls um, that his people cherished as scripture. And so that formed the motivation of like, man, I'm really compelled by Jesus and his story. Uh, and I'm therefore I'm motivated. That's one angle. Um, if it's somebody who's already down for Jesus and they really want to engage the Bible and it's like, what could you give them the right categories? Um, uh, the first thing I would tell them is, um, this is, uh, literature from ancient culture. Um, and it's written in an ancient and very dense style that's going to force you to go slow, that's going to force you to reread many times before you begin to understand it. And to just not let, it's not like a glit, that's actually a feature of it, uh, is that it's meant for multiple rereadings over the course of long periods of time. And then the the last thing is just, um, it's intuitive, but biblical literature does it in a unique way, that repetition of words and ideas and themes that go in cycles throughout the different stories and scrolls is one of the main ways that um, this literature communicates is repetition and learning to be a connoisseur of repeated words and ideas across long expanses of the Bible is one of the most important skills for learning how to track with the ideas. What about you, John? (laughs) Well, you know, one thing that you've helped identify Tim is, um, that's easy to bring uh, paradigms to the Bible of what kind of book it is 
mm-hmm. that are well-intentioned, but actually will leave you a little flat-footed mm-hmm. as you try to read the Bible. And so I think that's a good conversation to have with mm-hmm. someone is to say, hey, mm-hmm. you know, this, this, is a, this is a different kind of book than you're going to be used to reading. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you mentioned it's ancient literature, uh, but you're going to have some intuitions to try to make it some things that's not. It's not a rule book. It does have laws in it, ancient laws, first century letters with laws. Um, uh, but um, it's not just a big do and don't list that you need to figure out. Um, but it does, it does want to help you learn how to live a wise and righteous life. Uh, but it's not a rule book. And um, it's not a theology manual. Um, it's not going to tell you a bulleted list of like who God is. And, um, uh, there are a lot of great works that, that do that. Um, but that's not what the Bible's doing. It is going to tell you about who God is in its own way. Um, but not as a theology dictionary. Um, so kind of helping people try to shed Mm. that. Um, and then the question then becomes, well, then what kind of book is it? And that kind of leads into, um, I think where you guys want to go a little bit, which is our, our, our tagline, which is the Bible's unified story that leads to Jesus. And we, we, there's something very specific we mean about that, that kind of speaks to the kind of literature we think the Bible is. And that's a really long conversation and it's probably not for like your first <laughs> read through the Bible, but I think it's a really important one. So I'm curious though, how, how do you, um, communicate to an audience that if they've had any experience with the Bible at all, it's been through the primary medium of verses. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the primary engagement unit, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of yeah. the Bible. Um, and so that's what they're used to. Um, they've seen the memes, they've seen the things on the coffee mugs. I think I saw a statistic recently where the average person of faith, even a more mature person knows 13 of these sayings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how, how do you um, help somebody who's, who's brand new to the Bible mm. to kind of get past the verses? Mm. Mm. Well, I, I'm kind of a big fan of uh, instead of doing a direct head on, here's what's wrong about an approach to just model a different way that is actually more in tune with um, what the Bible actually is and how it communicates. And so um, the moment you can show people about the development of a theme or idea across a whole book of the Bible and how it's really profound and how it's really cool, how a theme will get brought up at multiple points and developed or inverted and reversed, um, what you're modeling for people is, oh, I need to read like big sections of these books. probably in a shorter amount of time, if I'm going to hope to understand anything of what these books are trying to communicate, if you just model it or model the, show the results of it and then help people get intrigued, like, oh, I'm not used to reading the Bible that way at all. I, that's something I could do. I could do this at home. And uh, the more, uh, that's just kind of my, as a teacher and thinking about pedagogy, I just think that's a more effective way in the long run. Show what the real goodies are and then people who are interested will, will follow up. Yeah, I I think you model that well with with your mantra that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And then you don't say, and it's not this and it's not that and it's not this. And if you mm-hmm. use them this way, then you're doing it wrong. And, you know, all this sort of stuff, you're just introducing people to this new paradigm. 
that um, just kind of inherently maybe changes the paradigm for them. Cause mm. I think a lot of people have um, cognitively or not cognitively inherited paradigms that say the Bible is an instruction manual or the Bible is this really weird book. And your task is to find all the good parts that, you know, are encouraging <laughs> yeah. or, mm-hmm. you know, uplifting or whatever, mm-hmm. and just kind of sift through and, and find all the best parts. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of your key mantra, this, this unified story mm-hmm. mantra. Um, are there any other kind of key takeaways that, that you'd like for people who repeatedly engage with your stuff to, uh, to adopt? You know, I know Tim, you've mentioned before this idea of biblical authors being literary ninjas and just mm-hmm. being able to weave these themes throughout mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're writing one book, but they're referencing, uh, a, a book from the past and they're able to take those themes and weave them into what they're mm-hmm. putting together. Um, mm-hmm. are there any other kind of big picture things that you'd like people to take away? Mm-hmm. Yes, there are <laughs> <laughs> just a couple. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's actually, it's helpful recently, seven years in, we've boiled down what we think are kind of our seven kind of most important takeaways about the Bible that make up the paradigm we're inviting people into. Uh, and so what you're talking there is about it, it's unified nature, how the biblical authors unify the story and ideas across all these different scrolls and books and so on and repetition and so on. Um, you know, another feature that's really uh, foundational is um, examining my assumptions about what I mean when I say a book written by people is a a word of God. Um, And um, for most of uh, Christian history, traditions have tended uh, to just um, overemphasize one, often the expense of the other. And so it's divine origins linked to its divine authority to give guidance to, to the life of God's people. Sometimes that gets emphasized, which it needs to be emphasized, but then it can be uh, at the expense of the human origins of the Bible that are like, you could just read the accounts of the origins of the Bible in the Bible, and it will tell you about a lot of the people involved and a lot of the messy situations out of which these texts came into existence. So, uh, So for John and I, repeatedly understanding that the human authorship of the Bible and highlighting the biblical authors' creativity and what they mean and what think what their words mean in their cultural setting that that is just as important for understanding it and so the divine human partnership in the origins of scripture is a really big un, it's kind of an under the hood topic uh that i think really needs to come up eventually in somebody's journey with um with the bible so that, i know that's been a big one yeah and then um you spoke to the unified nature there's also when we say the unified story the story is also about a human and divine collaboration mm-hmm. um, where God wanted to uh, put, he, well, he did create humans <laughs> as his image. Here we are. And um, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> uh, and gave us this incredible responsibility to image him in creation. And, um, uh, and then just our, our constant failure at that. And then God's response to that failure um, and, and, um, that story and how he wants to rescue us from ourselves and restore us to this, um, to this high calling. Um, so that unified story and all the themes that develop, um, that's a big thing that we like to talk about. 
Mm-hmm. One of the most important themes, if you could say there is a most important theme, is the the uh, is that it's we're, there's a Messiah, um, there is a a mm-hmm. king, uh, this anointed person who's going to come and rescue us, and um, uh, and that's that this is messianic literature and that it leads to Jesus and all these themes, water of Mm. life, tree of life, Mm. mountains, temples, they all, if you just trace these themes, they have this climax Mm. in the Mm. life of Jesus Mm. and his, and his character. And then in his death and his resurrection, it just in this really beautiful way that then comes to fulfillment even more in his body of, uh, of believers and then in the hope of new creation. So we just trace these themes and we just love to, to talk about those themes, show people those themes. Mm-hmm. So it's messianic literature. And then Tim spoke a little bit too, to this thing that we like to talk about, which is it, it, you need to read it and reread it. And it uses repetition and lit, literary artistry. And what we call that is meditation literature mm-hmm. from, from Psalm one. Blessed is is the man who meditates on um, the Torah day and night and um, delights in it. And um, uh, so those are some of the key things underneath this this kind of tagline of it being unified story leads Jesus. Yeah, that's great. And I think the unified piece of that is huge for a lot of people. I think mm-hmm. there's this conception, uh, again, spoken or unspoken, mostly unspoken, I think, that you know, there's this first Testament story. It's this story of Israel. And then there's kind of like a hard cutoff and mm-hmm. Jesus kind of drops out of heaven and starts a new story that undoes, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, plan a, I guess, story of Israel that didn't work out. But then when you see how he's, you know, if you envision like a cork board with the red string all mm-hmm. over it, tying the pieces together and all of the red strings coming in in the middle on Jesus, like, it's just such a more powerful uh, narrative from, from start to finish. So I love that you guys have made that a priority to, to bring into what you're doing. Other emphases that are important that are kind of on repeat in our work is about, uh, that reading the Bible is a cross-cultural experience. We're entering into ancient Jewish culture. Uh, and so, and, and ancient Jewish way of writing poetry and narrative and writing letters and so on. And so, um, learning to, uh, equip ourselves to be uh, respectful cross-cultural readers. And uh, that, that's, a really, that's a really big dynamic. And kind of along with that also is an emphasis that the Bible is a literature that was written by people in a very tight-knit community, a, a, very, a minority community in ancient Judaism, and then um, was written out of a community to communities and was meant to be read aloud. By groups of people and discussed and learned about as a group. And um, while the printing press has given us the ability to read the Bible by ourselves, that has also comes with big liabilities uh, of leaving people alone with the Bible, which is sometimes awesome and which is sometimes can really be isolating and frustrating people. And uh, the, the Bible as communal literature is another emphasis that we care about too. Yeah, we love that. We uh, talk about the fact that the Bible has, down through the ages, become a solo sport. And mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. I think it was John Stott in his uh, commentary on Ephesians calls out the prepositional phrase, you know, where Paul says, mm-hmm. my prayer is that with all God's people. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
you might know the height and length and depth mm. and breadth and yes, uh, yeah. just something that can't be done by climbing up a mountain and yep. eating granola. And, you know, it's a, <laughs> maybe a good thing to do occasionally, but yeah. Uh, yeah. At, at any rate, Hey guys, uh, people that watch the Bible reset podcast know that um, one of our main focuses has been on the, the form of the modern Bible. Mm. And we've delved into, you know, mm. the history mm. of the modern Bible that chapters and verses are new technology, mm. that two columns really kind of hides um, he, the Hebrew poetry. Um, so it, it uh, messes with this whole thing about the literary genre that you guys I know find mm. to be to be important. And, you know, even things like the order of the books where we have the prophets and we have the big ones and the little ones, um, where in reality, what's most important is that there were books, prophets that were to different audiences, some before the exile, some during, um, you know, some after. Same thing is true of Paul's letters, you know, from the longest to the shortest. How do we see the evolution of Paul's thinking and the evolution of Paul himself? So, you know, this is this is a big part of our focus. and the immersed Bible that we created addresses a lot of those things, but this isn't a loaded question, but do you guys think about those things? And uh, you know, what, what are, what are your, what are your thoughts? And. Mm -hmm. Yes, we think about them very much. <laughs> <laughs> I think about them all the time. In fact, uh, yeah, no, a big, a big uh, emphasis in my own learning and research in the last five years uh, has been all about um, the, the, conventions of d literary design and communication that were native to the biblical authors. Um, so we're it's like the tool set out of which uh, they composed this, these texts uh, as modes of communication. And um, part of the challenge is, is that they have uh, organized and arranged all these scrolls and the content within them in very intentional ways that you're right, our chapter and verse structures have been imposed on and often bulldoze right over uh, the design features of the literature. And most unfortunately, it happens on page one. <laughs> uh, the first literary unit of the Bible is Genesis 1, verse 1, through Genesis 2, verse 3, or verse 4, or verse 4 is a hinge. Or, but the point is that even there, you can see it, and it's very clear. Like, it's the, the seventh day of the six days of God creating is the climax, but just wedge chapter two in there. So that kind of stuff happens all the time. And I don't think we realize to what degree the Bible getting chopped up uh, against the grain of its design, it really affects how we experience the reading process. And uh, so it, another factor too is that the communities, especially for the Hebrew Bible, that compose this literature, this was literature that was meant to live in the heart and in the mind. Um, and that the scrolls um, were visual prompts to guide people in the memorization and recitation of these texts. Um, but the ideal reader of the, especially of the, of the Hebrew Bible, is somebody who turns these texts over in their mind. And again, literary design and the way things are typically organized in groups of two, threes, or fours, um, down to the micro level and the macro level, it's a mental organization tool that is just, um, we, we just don't see that stuff. So we dream of a day 
uh, of creating a digital Bible where people could begin to see these original design structures on the smaller, medium, larger levels and encounter the Bible that way. That's, that's the thing we're talking about a lot these mm -hmm. days. I would love that. I would love it too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And actually di digitally, there's a lot of opportunity mm. to do, to do something that just print um, isn't able to do because when it's in your mind and you see the organization, um, you're able to see how larger stories are, are kind of callbacks to other mm -hmm. stories and then you mm -hmm. can begin to like relate the two stories together mm -hmm. and um and you can do it in your mind as mm -hmm. keywords are happening if you're just meditating on it mm -hmm. um uh, but you'd have to flip back a couple pages in in your in your mm -hmm. bible and then flip back and forth um and uh so being able to to do that kind of you know highlighting um digitally is re is really fascinating Mm -hmm. Tim, you're also really like, Tim's a big proponent of the Tanakh order of the Hebrew Bible. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, that's another thing that mm -hmm. we, we kind of teach early on that, that um, uh, there is an intentional ordering there in, um, mm -hmm. in the Hebrew Bible that is not, is not what you're going to find in a typical Protestant or Catholic mm -hmm. um, Old Testament. Um, and it's not even what like uh, a like more. It's not like a ordering mm. of a chronological ordering either mm. necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's kind of this first century Jewish way of the, of ordering that we think is really special. Yeah, I love that. One of the things that we did in our immerse uh, New Testament was to group the five major sections of Matthew and how, you know, we, mm, we kind of put mm -hmm. a little marker mm -hmm, after mm -hmm. that repeated phrase of, mm, yeah, uh, yeah. after Jesus had finished saying these things to kind of get yes. people to notice that that's this repeated phrase. And then hopefully start asking questions about like, okay, what does that yeah. mean about what Matthew's trying to do with this book? And, yep. um, you know, yeah. how it relates to the, the five books of Moses and that sort of thing. It's amazing what people take away from mm. just a getting getting rid of kind of the standardizing elements of chapters and verses and two columns and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. but also replacing it with something meaningful, mm -hmm. not just a different sort of mm -hmm. standardized reference system. So um, mm -hmm. glad to hear that that you guys are on the same page with that. Mm -hmm. So um, some of my favorite videos that you guys produced, I think you made them last year sometime, is actually your process series on how you oh. actually get from kind of mm. a to z mm. on making mm. a video um and you know i watched one that talks about okay you, you decide on a topic and then tim goes over to the bookshelves and like you know <laughs> reads find, a lot yes like you know gets his four foot high stack of books on his desk and just kind of dives into this uh topic and engages with the scholarship um and we feel like at the institute there's this this crucial segment of the church that's these scholars and a lot of the time they're just doing this amazing work and it stays up at the mm. top of this ivory mm. tower and never mm. gets to the average mm. churchgoer. Mm. Um, so what you guys do and, and hopefully what more organizations will start to do is kind of mm. acting as translators where mm. you, you synthesize and you um, kind of distill it all down into a five minute video that somebody can go on YouTube and watch. 
Do you guys see kind of a, an opportunity for more organizations to step into that space? Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Abs- yeah, absolutely. Um, it's still amazing to me. Uh, you know, these, uh, I mean, tr- true genius uh, figures from previous generations and from our own. And it's like hardly anybody reads their work and they've given their whole lives to understanding X topic in the Bible or X section. And, uh, so yeah, I, um, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. The explainer video medium, uh, is one of them. Uh, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about other, um, Northern seminary, for example, there's a lot of seminaries doing online stuff, but Northern seminary, uh, where Scott McKnight is, he's a pretty well-known new Testament scholar. They're like packing whole course worth of material into 20 minutes seminary now and it'll or it'll be like a a handful of 20 minute and you 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 hear the person on x y or z and uh there's those kinds of things that are coming out so my hunch is there'll be a whole myriad as the digital world keeps opening up uh but yeah the the time's more opportune than ever to disseminate really really well researched work on biblical studies and getting it to a wide audience so in that sense it's an exciting time i think yeah i see that as the role of explainers and mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of mediums to do it in mm-hmm. um like long form journalistic storytelling on podcasts mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. and we're just beginning to learn you know the power of that mm-hmm. um to explain really complicated things um and and the, the thing is is people do have an appetite for this like people are smart and people get it um it's just we um we don't have the time there's so much information so uh it's it really takes the craftsmanship of of an explainer someone who thinks of themselves as as a translator of sorts Mm. uh who can come and 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 do that work um because because people will totally get it and they want to yeah, just for the record, our colleague Glenn, who we work with, who's our director of content, has a course coming out on seminary now. So we've oh, oh, we've yeah, been on sure. their site and we've seen like there's yeah. just this wealth of awesome content straight from uh yeah. straight from the scholars in a in a lot of cases. Um that like you guys said, these these digital media platforms are are making accessible to quote unquote yeah. normal people who just yeah. wanna get the info um, yeah. and, and understand it. Yeah. I mean uh at the end of the day, the lifeblood of the Jesus movement around the world is still net, overlapping networks of local churches. And, uh, and so the degree that there can be produced resources that can fit into the life, rhythms, practices, habits of a local church community, I think that's where the, that's where the action is. And so for sometimes it's training the people who will be leading and teaching in those. And that's traditionally been the role of a seminary and that's all getting reconfigured as we speak. But then there's this other world of just putting good media content about scripture uh, that churches can use in a myriad of ways. And uh, man, it's a wide open playing, playing field there. I think you guys have demonstrated that, um, People are ready for dense and uh, integrated topics, and mm. they wrestle with gray things in their life Monday through Friday. Why not, you know, wrestle with mm-hmm. the challenging aspects of the mm. uh, 
of the scripture mm-hmm. as as well. We need more Israelite to wrestle with God and and one. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, final question. Um, this is kind of really your opportunity to give a final word, uh, if you will. But if you were appointed the Bible engagement czar for a day, and there was one thing, uh, what is the one thing you would change about how most people engage the Bible? Then I'll let you be the czar. That's oh, <laughs> too much pressure, right? I didn't know. I didn't know there was a czar. Who's, who's the current czar? Oh, man. <laughs> it's hard to know. Yeah, there's so probably many. lots of self-appointed czars. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I can handle this kind of power. I would screw uh, it up. Right. So. Yeah, same. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I, mean, I think uh, I, I, don't, I actually am not up to speed on any Bible engagement statistics. Um, I've heard some, but they're all years old now. And so... Uh, I have had the experience of being in a room where if you create the space and the time to sit down with the part of the Bible and just show what's actually going on, the, the vast majority of people, their imaginations uh, light up and their curiosity is peaked and they're excited to go to see and experience more of that. And so um, I'm not sure what else to say. I would just hold like a a virtual seminar and just like pick a psalm at random and then like discover with people how amazing it is. And hopefully they'll they'll, uh, catch the bug. But uh, it's just, you know, it's it's the literature designed for communities to undergo an experience together. And there's no replacing that. Even with explainer videos, you can't replace that. All you can do is show people that like, hey, there's like something really cool here. And the, now you have some categories, go read it for yourself. And uh, that's where the action is at. And uh, so I don't know. I don't know how I could mandate that people experience the Bible in a new way. You just got to do, do it, I suppose. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, guys. This, is, this has been super fun. You've been very generous with your time uh, to, to join us for two episodes. So, so thank you, guys. Yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah. If, uh, if any of our listeners want to engage again with the Bible Project's resources, you can find all their videos, podcasts, studies, reading plans, etc. at BibleProject.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Changemakers, which is our community of monthly donors who have pledged to give what they can each month to help change the way the world reads the Bible. If you're interested in joining Changemakers and supporting our work, head over to instituteforbiblereading.org slash changemakers to learn more. That's going to do it for us today. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you on the next one.